Keenan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rudy. It's great to be here. It's good to have you here. Now, let me take a stab at your last name, all right? Please do. Anichariko. 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 There you go. What's, that was pretty good. What's the origin of that? So it's actually Italian. Italian? Italian Are yeah. both of your parents Italian? My, so my, my father was born and raised in El Salvador. Okay. Uh, his mother is El Salvadoran, but his, his grandfather was born and raised in Milan. In Milan, yeah, in Italy. So that's where we get the Italian from. And then your mom? She was born and raised in Houston, uh, Scotch-Irish heritage. Um, so, yeah. What brought your father to Houston? So he, he came to the States when he was around 15, maybe a little bit younger than that. Um, uh -huh. Entered in a mil military school at first. And then for high oh. school, he entered into a boarding school in Boston. Um, and after that, he came down to Houston. I don't know how. I think it was Providence, just God's Providence. He came down to Houston to go to school at University of St. Thomas. So my parents met at University of St. Thomas, which is funny because now I'm there studying for, for seminary. So um, it's funny how that all worked out. And how long have you been in the seminary? For since August. Okay, so, so it's just entered. Not even a year, huh? Not even a year. Wow, yeah. you're still fresh. <laughs> yes, got, I'm still fresh. Yep. Got the new car, seminarian smell on you and everything. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yes, very much so. How's it been so far? It's been awesome. It has been awesome. Um, really, truly a blessing and a gift. Um, I love, you know, I wake up every day and I'm excited, um, which was not, you know, has not always been the case. Um, but yeah, just, you know, our, our the way of life, what we do every day, um, has been really, really a, a huge blessing. So, did you grow up here in Houston? Yes, I did. So I grew up in in Sugarland, um, Sugarland, Texas. So uh, grew up at going to Catholic school at St. Lawrence. Okay. Um, all my siblings, all of us went there. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Sugarland. So it's always been St. Lawrence growing up. Yes. Yeah. Received all my sacraments there, confirmation, all of it. Um, went to Catholic school there. It, I and we loved. I loved St. Lawrence. Growing, going to school there was, was huge. Um, really gave me a foundation in the faith. Um, gave me a great group of friends. My, mom, my mother still teaches there, but she taught there. Um, taught PE and health. So having her there was great. It was just a great community. Um, and I've, uh, again, I'm grateful to my parents for sending me there, making the sacrifice to send me there because it wasn't easy for them. Uh -huh. um, but... If I hadn't gone to St. Lawrence, I don't think I would have. I would be here where I am today. I don't think I'd be in seminary um, just because it gave me that firm foundation in my faith. So, Did you always think that. that you were going to enter the seminary and pursue priesthood? Never. <laughs> I never, I never, ever thought that. Uh, growing up, that was not something I ever had even considered. Um, so, no, it, it never came to mind. It only really came to mind last probably, probably three, two and a half years ago. So it was not something early on that ever came up. So growing up, were Sunday Catholics or very involved in the church or how, yeah. what was it like? So, yeah. So we went to mass every Sunday, uh -huh. um, but that was kind of where it stopped, right? Uh, we would, we would pray before meals, meals and things like that. But, but other than that, it wasn't too, yeah, that was, that was pretty much how, how far our faith went. Uh -huh. um, and so... While we were at St. Lawrence, we, me, especially me and my younger brother, my sister is eight years younger than me, so she came in after us, after we had kind of had left St. Lawrence. Um, but we, we took our faith seriously. Um, 
you know, going through St. Lawrence just because it was a part of everyday life. You're at the, you're at a Catholic school, you go to mass every Friday and mm-hmm. Sunday. So it's, it's every day. Um, and, and we also loved being there too. So that like contributed, I think, to like taking the faith seriously because we loved being at the school. And, and so we associated it all together. However, when I went off to high school, um, I went to a public high school after St. Lawrence and I went there without any friends. All my friends went to like Strake and St. Agnes. Okay. And I went to, to Clements and Sugarland. Um, was it an economic thing? Yeah. Yeah. We just couldn't okay. afford, couldn't yeah, afford uh, Strake. It's expensive. Um, yeah. yeah it is a, it's expensive. So, um, so I went to Clements and, uh, it was kind of a, not a culture shock, but it was hard for me because I went from St. Lawrence having a, you know, knowing everybody because your class is 70 people. So it's, and you go to, you're with them for, you know, seven years. So you know everyone. Yes. So I went from that to going to Clements High School where I didn't know anyone. Mm. Um, and I remember like for the first couple of months sitting by myself at lunch, like just, which was very humbling. And it, it was a, in retrospect, it was a great experience because you, you have to learn how to meet new people and things yes. like that. But at the same time, I lost what I had at St. Lawrence insofar as like everyone knowing me, everyone liking me, having a bunch of friends. So like this popularity that I had, yes, I lost it going into public high school. Oh. So that I think that kind of spurred me on uh, into wanting to have that popularity again, wanting to be accepted by others again in that way. Uh-huh. Um, and so that kind of led me, that's where I started to kind of like veer away from the faith, right? And kind of listen to, in a manner of speaking, listen to what the world was telling, you know, tells us, uh-huh. will make us happy. And especially us, teenagers. Especially teenagers. <laughs> I mean, it's high school, you know, <laughs> so I, hard. I, I could totally, totally relate to what you're saying because when I was in high school, I also moved to a different school. I, okay. my parents, we relocated to the Philippines and I had oh. to get used to oh. the, yeah, wow. it's the same thing. It's just a whole culture shock. You don't know anyone. You have to make new friends. And some of these people have known each other. Yes. Ever Cause since. Because these, yeah, these, uh, <laughs> the people at the public high school were at the public middle school, at the yeah. public elementary. So they've known each other as long as I knew my St. Lawrence friends. Yeah. But now I'm coming in, I don't know any of them. Um, so yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard. Um, but like I said, that's what kind of tended me, started tending away from the faith, right? Like I didn't, I, and also as a family, we, we didn't go to mass every single Sunday. That was starting to kind of like oh. um, not be as consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, I got confirmed at St. Lawrence. But that was more of a checking off the box kind of thing for me. My parents wanted me to go there. I was going to do that because they told me I had to do that. Um, but I went, I remember just like cutting up in the class with my friends, you know, just being a, not being, <laughs> not being a good student, right? Um, not taking it as seriously as I should have, right? Because uh-huh. confirmation is such a, you know, great sacrament and so important. But I, you know, I just really didn't care. Um, yeah, your, your immature adolescent mind at that time. Just didn't, yeah, just didn't care. And I was interested in doing what like the cool people at my high school were doing because that's what I wanted to do because I wanted to be friends with them. Yes. And so that's what I did. And obviously that led me that led me away from my faith um, pretty drastically. So high school, by the time I left high school, I was not really a practicing Catholic per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I went off to Texas State, um, which is a you know beautiful university and, uh, and it's, it is a good school and it's getting better. But I, I went there and I, I joined a fraternity my freshman year, and that just was not was not good for my spiritual life. Oh boy, it was not good for the spiritual life, and um, so that just everything that entails uh, just wasn't wasn't good. And I remember I think I went to the Catholic, um, like the church on campus, the Catholic the campus ministry center. or yeah, the yeah. Catholic student center. I went there probably four or five times over four and a half years, and it was 
It was either for mass or to get my ashes on Ash Wednesday. It's funny, you know, like like <laughs> Ash Wednesday is like the most attended, one of the most attended days of the year, right? And so, I yeah, I went. Uh, at least I went and did that, and I don't know why I felt the urge to get ashes. Which uh-huh. you know, I never went to mass on Sunday, but I thought I should get my ashes on Ash Wednesday. So, do they do it like they did it at my university, where because I went to a Catholic university mm-hmm. and they had a, that campus ministry, right? And on Ash Wednesday, you can just go there and there's a priest waiting. They just put the ashes on you. You don't even have to attend the mass. Did they I think do it that way there or did you have to attend the mass? They had at least services, right? Okay. So it wasn't a mass, but it, it was like a 30-minute service. Okay. I think they maybe did like readings beforehand. I can't remember exactly. Um, I probably went to the service and not to the mass. I went, <laughs> I went the easiest way. The path, path Checking of off that box. Checking off the box. That's what it was. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was college. Um, again, you know, not really practicing, um, doing what the world you know, told me I should do and what will make me happy. Was it the typical fraternity life? Yeah, just just not just not a healthy just not a healthy place to be. Party um, lifestyle. Yeah, and just advocating all the things that that the world kind of like advocates, which are fun and will make you happy and all those things. And so I definitely fell into all of that because not having the faith and not having that firm grounding in a life with Christ, you're susceptible to all those things, right? To temptations and things like that. And I I fell into that because of because of my lack of faith and because of not living, you know, the Catholic life. Did your parents notice that? Yeah, but so actually to backtrack slightly, like it, my senior year, they got divorced. My parents got divorced. Okay. So that was hard. So that kind of also oh. exacerbated yeah. me going into that kind of lifestyle and everything um, because life at home was hard that year, my senior year. I wasn't really home very often. Um, Just so wanted to escape it. Wanted to escape it. And, you know, Thanks be to God, it wasn't like a really bad divorce. It was just, they just decided it wasn't working for them. Um, it's still hard on the kids oh, no matter what. Man. Yeah, you know, I heard it. It's funny. I was talking to a friend about this a couple of days ago, and it's, I heard a quote from, I can't remember, a saint or somebody who's saying when two people get married, um, they carry the cross for the family, right? The parents carry the cross. Uh-huh. Um, but when the parents get divorced, the kid carries the cross. And I oh. think that's like... Wow. So I think that's so true. That's so true. So I experienced that, right? I, you know, our, all of us experienced that. Um, and so, yeah, so senior year, that was just really hard, a really hard time for the family. And the family kind of like broke apart in a sense in that, you know, in that year. And so going into college right off of that happening, uh-huh. kind of just, right, it just led to just, you know. And you said your good. sister was much younger than you. Yeah. <laughs> Is it just that one sibling? Yeah, so it's, well, it's me. My younger brother, Adrian. Okay. Who's three years younger than me. Okay. And then my sister, Francesca, who's, she's eight years younger than I am. So she was, she was pretty young when all this was happening. Oh, wow. Um, so it's probably hardest on her. Yeah. Um, but she's doing so much better now. But yeah, it's, it was, it was just a tough time for the family. Uh, and so going into college, like I said, going into college after that was not, it wasn't good how everything just kind of, ha- kind of happened. Um, so during college, me kind of living that lifestyle when I would come home, I mean, my mom, I would, I would live with my mom. We lived with our mom. My father actually went back to El Salvador for, okay. for five, six years uh, to take care of his father, who was getting pretty old at that time. Okay. And there was a family business of, of coffee. Uh, they had plantation land down there, and so they oh. grew coffee and cotton. So my dad was just helping kind of right the ship down there with, with one, taking care of his father, but also helping with the family business. So he, was, he would come home. He would come visit like once a year. Uh-huh. Um, but other than that, we were with our mom. And so, yeah, she, I mean, she was aware, but, you know, life wasn't easy for her back home either. So she had so much, 
on her plate yeah. that she was trying to handle. Yeah. So she wasn't happy with what I, you know, how I was living and I could see that and I would disappoint her. You know, she, it was the, I'm not that mad. I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed, which is worse. Yeah. Right? And the parent looks yeah. at you and says, so that was, that was pretty much her response and her reaction. She wasn't happy with it, but at the same time she had so much going on that she wasn't like trying to like reel me in, in any, in any way. Um, did your brother fall into a similar? Yeah. Unfortunately, he kind of, he just kind of followed me. Um, uh -huh. Because we're, even to this day, we're, he's, pro, he's my best friend. My brother's my best friend. Um, and so growing up, we were very, very close. You know, we, we didn't really fight. Uh, we just, just very much loved each other and were with each other all the time. And so when I, and you know, he would, from a very early age, he would do what I did, right? As the older brother, he would just, because he loved me, he would just follow me. Yeah. You were um, his idol. Yeah, yeah, in a way. So, so then going into high school, he saw me, he started to veer off this way, and he unfortunately followed me. So, and, I've, and to this day, I you know, don't feel great about that, right? Uh-huh. Um, but so he went to college, did some, you know, was, went into this roughly the kind of the same lifestyle. Again, not really practicing the faith either. Um, but actually, it was because of him that everything started to change with our family, with our faith and everything. Really? How'd that happen? So about, what was it? I graduated, I graduated college in 2016 and I started working. He was in, he was at U of H downtown, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and he, he started, he had taken his faith more seriously when we were at St. Lawrence. I just remember him being more, he would pray more often. And, and he had Gabe Castillo, who I know came on the show a couple, you know, a couple months ago. He had Gabe Castillo, well, we both had him as a teacher. I had him his first year, I was in eighth grade as a math teacher. But Gabe never taught math. <laughs> he would just talk about praying the rosary and wearing the brown scapular and, uh -huh. and all this, uh, which had a big impact on us. Uh, but he actually taught Adrian religion class. Oh. And he had a huge impact on Adrian. And so Adrian, I mean, he even recounts now how in eighth grade when he was about, or maybe seventh or eighth grade when he was about 12, he realized he might have a vocation to the priesthood. Like he was able to kind of like see that, that oh. early on. And so when he, led, when, when he kind of followed me away, he was, he was leaving that right behind kind of in a sense. Uh -huh. However, probably in 20, I think it started in 2016 for him. He started to kind of have a reversion back to the faith. Um, he, some things happened in his life that made him realize how important the faith was uh -huh. and how we should, why it's so important, why we should live that life. Um, and it really picked up for him when he reached back out to Gabriel, maybe 2018 or tw end of 2017 and said, hey, I, I think I need to discern the priesthood. And so Gabe was oh. crucial in helping him discern. Um, so this was before you. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty, pretty crazy. And and it was really, you know, Gabriel's a very strong Marian devotion. And uh -huh. very strong might be an understatement. But <laughs> but he, he it was huge for us because he gave that to my brother, and my brother totally bought in. Um, mm -hmm. and Mary really brought him back to her son, as she always does. And so he really started just going all in on his faith, praying the rosary every day. And I would see, and I was working at this time, but I was hesitant to to do all of that because I I wanted to live my life. I thought I was having a good time. And what were you doing? What just was, I mean, I was working, but like I was living the same lifestyle I had in college. So uh -huh. on the weekends, I would just go hang, you know, go out with my friends. And, and that your, was just, your job. It was so my first job was working as a sales associate for a freight forwarding company. Okay. So we shipped cargo internationally, um, and and I wasn't working as hard as I should have again. Cause again, like just my whole life, I wasn't, wasn't disciplined, you know, wasn't living, living the faith out. Just um, checking the boxes. Just checking the boxes, you know, trying to get by, mm -hmm. um, which is just a, is, 
you know, and then that's when I started to realize I was miserable, right? Like that's when I started to realize I'm not happy. Um, these things the world has told me and I've done for the last, what, eight, nine years of my life can't uh -huh. make me happy. And I was finally starting to realize that, um, which was hard. Um, but, but so that, that realization that I wasn't happy and I was kind of miserable, my brother saw that, right? And so he started to kind of like push me. He was like, hey, you should uh, start going to Mass every Sunday. You should start going to confession. Uh, you should start praying the rosary. And so he would ask me to pray the rosary with him. Uh -huh. And I couldn't really say no to that because it's hard to come up with a justification <laughs> to not pray the rosary. Yeah. Um, and he knew that. And, and us being so close, it was like, okay, I'll pray with you. And I, I think the first two years or year and a half after college, I lived at home uh -huh. with him and my mom. Um, and so I gradually started, yeah, okay, I'll pray with you. Okay. So you weren't going to mass even every Sunday, huh? Oh, no. I mean, college that... I wasn't doing it during college. When I graduated and started working, I went I went more often because I was at home. So the family would go, but I wasn't going every Sunday. And, okay. I, and I wasn't I wasn't buying in, right? I was going because the family wanted me to go, and that, that was about it. Okay. Um, I, knew, I knew at the very least, right? And I thank St. Lawrence for this. I thank Gabe for this, teaching us this early on. Like, I shouldn't go receive the Eucharist because I'm in a state of moral sin because of the life oh. I'm living. So I okay. at least knew that. And so I wouldn't, you know, I'd go to Mass and I wouldn't receive. Okay. Um, so at least there was that, but I wasn't willing to go to confession, you know, consistently to try to like work through these, these sins that I was dealing with. Uh -huh. So, but again, Adrian started to, to get me to pray the rosary with him. And, um, so I gradually started doing that. Um, and that was about beginning of 2018. And then I moved into my own place. Uh, but he, but I got an apartment near my office and also near St. Teresa's in Sugarland where Adrian had started going because Gabriel worked there as a youth minister. So, okay. So we would go there every Sunday. Um, and that, and he would start to, he started getting me to go to mass and I and started going to St. Teresa's. It was a, St. Teresa's was different for me um, because the, just the liturgy, it's a more traditional service and I had never yes. experienced that before. And so it kind of caught me off guard, but uh -huh. at the same time kind of was intriguing. I was like, I've never seen this before. What's going on here? What, you know, what, what is this? So we started to go there almost every Sunday. And again, I wasn't receiving, but now that I'm going every Sunday, I had the urge, I think Jesus was putting the urge in my heart, like, okay, you want to receive the Eucharist. Chipping away at that wall chipping that you had away, built. Yeah. Chipping away. And, and praying, they're starting to pray the rosary more often. Mary was like, I had been wearing the scapular, uh -huh. which is like Mary getting her foot in the door. Yes. Um, even if you're trying to slam the door shut, <laughs> she's, she's got her foot in there. So I was wearing the scapular, but... With praying the rosary, I think that really started to help me kind of realize, okay, I, I need to start making some changes. Um, and my brother just continued to push me, um, which thanks be to God, he did. Uh, but like towards the end of 2018, I was going to Mass every Sunday almost at this point, and I was starting to go to confession more often. But I was still struggling with the sins I was struggling with before. And so I would, was going to confession often because I wanted to receive the Eucharist because of the lifestyle I was living. So it was like this conflict I had. Uh -huh. I was coming to almost a breaking point kind of, of I either have to, you know, make some new friends, like make new friends, leave, like cut off some old friends uh -huh. um, to, to make a lifestyle change. And I remember one time I went to confession. It was the end of 2018, like December. I went to confession after, after one weekend because I wanted to receive the Eucharist because I, star I started to realize how important that was. If I was, was really going to change my lifestyle that had to happen. And so I went to confession at St. Teresa and I'm kneeling behind the screen. Um, but the, and I confess these sins. And then the priest asked me, he goes, why do you do these things? And I'm like, 
Mm. Why are you asking me that question? I'm just used to like <laughs> saying the sins. You you give you tell me not to do that, and yeah. then absolution, and I'm out. Right? Let's go through these motions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what I'm, right. Exactly right. So so I, I remember I confessed my sins, and then the the priest was like, "Why are you doing this? Why do you think you you do these things? Do you do you think they make you happy? Like he he started talking to me in this conversational style, which I was not had ever really experienced before. Uh-huh. And I remember getting up from behind the screen and going sitting in front of him, like it. It was so inviting. Wow. It was so inviting that I like felt like, okay, I need to go have this conversation with the priest. Uh-huh. And the priest was just a, a great confessor. Um, and he he told me what I needed to hear. Uh-huh. Um, he's like, You need to make you need to stop hanging out with these friends. You need to um, remove yourself from these situations, which you cannot deal with right now. Like you don't have the discipline or the virtue to go and be in these situations and not fall into, you know, those sins. You which priest to. was this? It was uh, Father Matthew Suniga. Okay. Yeah. Oh. He was so. Yeah. We so love he, Father Matthew. Yeah, he's awesome. So he was. He was huge. That was huge for me. That conf- That that confession. It was really kind of a, um, a changing moment for me because. And then the next weekend, I went out because I still was hanging out with those friends. I went out and hung out with those friends again, but I wanted to receive the Eucharist on Sunday, so I went back to confession. Uh huh. And I got Father Matthew again, and I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, he knows it's me. I just saw him a week ago. Um. So I went to confession with him, and uh-huh. I think he realized it was me. I mean, you know, I'm sure he saw a lot of people between the last time I had seen him, but I think he realized it was me, and he said to me, he goes, I confess my sins, and I sat in front of him, and we just talked, and he was like, he told me something which stuck, sticks with me to this day. He said, you need supernatural assistance. And Father Matthew has that voice that kind of carries. Yes, yes. So like, you need, you know. Yes. And it really it really hit me. And I think, you know, looking back, uh, I've said this before, we're talking to friends, it's like, I think we all realize we need God. But I don't think how much, I don't think we realize how much we need him, right? Mm. And I think him telling me that really kind of stuck with me and made me sit and kind of think about that. Okay, how, how much do I need him? I need him for everything, right? Uh-huh. It, was, it was in hearing Father Matthew tell me that, that I really, st- really started to like work through this um, and realize, okay, the faith cannot be something that we give 50% or 75%. It's got to be everything. Yes. We have to go all in. It's not something we can go halfway um, and so that was 2018, beginning of 2019, I got a new job, like right at the beginning of the year. And so I saw this as a great opportunity as a fresh start. Uh-huh. Um, and more than it was the beginning of a year, it was the beginning of a new job. And I had just had this experience in confession. I was like, let's make this year a better year. Wipe the slate clean. Wipe the slate clean. Let's start a new, let's start What did fresh. you do? What so job? It was, uh, with a company called Santa Fe Relocation. It's a global mobility company. So they help companies move their employees internationally. Okay. And I was in the, the consumer side, so we would help. So what companies would do is they would give their employees, just for an example, like Microsoft. Say they have an executive in San Francisco uh-huh. that needs to move to London. Okay. They would give that customer a lump sum amount to move all their household goods, mm. to do immigration, and then they would tell them to go find their company that's going to help them do this. Okay. That's where we stepped in. We, tried, we would help them with moving their household goods, getting their, their visas, everything they needed, we would assist with. Okay. So I, I started working for them in a sales role, just a sales associate. Um, and that was the beginning of 2019. And I, I told myself, okay, it was a 30 minute drive to work roughly. And I was like, I'm going to pray one rosary on the way to work every day. I want this to go well. Uh-huh. I need all the help I can get. So I was like, I'm going to pray one rosary on the way to work. Um, and so I started doing that. And the, the job was going well at first. Like it was, it was, you know, I liked the people I was working with. Um, I thought I could succeed at this because the skills I had gained from the previous job I see could apply. It was inside sales. Uh-huh. And I see I saw those skills could apply here. 
So I was excited. Um, and so the first couple months go by, but in March, so the first, yeah, January, February go by, I'm getting, I'm going through training and stuff like that. But in March, I had some really providential things happen that kind of even pushed me further and gave me a greater desire to grow in my faith. And those things were, I remember this. So I, I finally was able to get a new car. I had been driving the same car I had since high school. It okay. Was, it was beat. Mitsubishi Lancer <laughs> destroyed. Um, <laughs> chip, uh, paint chipping all over the place. You know, the, the inside, there were stains and everything. Just really, really. Yeah. It got me through. It got me through that time, but it was, it was, you know, it would shake when I went 60 miles an hour. It would, the <laughs> passenger seat would, would shake a lot. So, um, so I finally, because of this new job, I was getting paid more and making more money and I was finally able to save and, and get a, get a new car. So that weekend I got a new car. The next week, all the executives from the London office, so it's an a international company, office, uh -huh. like 40 offices in, in, I can't remember how many countries, a lot of countries. Um, but the headquarters was in London. The sales executives were coming to Houston to meet with the sales team. And I was extremely nervous about that because we used a CRM where we had all like sales information and stuff on. Um, and uh, mine was not, you know, in tip top shape. It wasn't as organized as it needs to be. And, okay. And I thought that Wednesday I was going to have to meet with the CCO and all the executives to review my sales and for him to give, you know, give feedback and stuff like that. So that Tuesday, but that Tuesday night we all went out to dinner and the CCO and then my direct boss who was in the London office, both were like, Hey, we'll ride with you. We'll ride with you to the restaurant. I'm like, and I re immediately realized if I hadn't gotten that new car <laughs> and they were going to ride with me in my old car. They'd be, be shaking in that, gosh, it that been, passenger seat. Yeah, yeah it would have been so bad. So that was one little realization. I was like, okay, thank you, God, for helping, the, you know, helping this line up. Because I had no idea that that was going to happen. I was going to be driving people the next week. Oh, I got wow. the car the weekend before. Wow. Um, new car smell and everything. New car smell and everything. And they were like, they liked it. The, they were like, hey, this is a nice car. Good for you. you, know, good for you. Um, but then that next day, I thought I was going to have to go in and present all my sales and I was uh -huh. extremely, extremely stressed out. And so I'm driving to work. I prayed my rosary, you know, asking Mary, Mary, please help this go as well as possible. Help me, help me to do whatever I need to do uh -huh. to make me survive this. Um, but I remember walking, parking my car in the garage and then walking on the breezeway to the, to the building. And my brother texted me and he said, and Adrian had, my brother had no idea what day it was for me. He didn't know what was going on at work that day. He just, he just sent me a text and he goes, presence, providence. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you telling me? What does this mean? He goes, if you acknowledge God's presence in your life, you know, in every moment, uh -huh. he'll show his providence to you. He will show himself to you, right? And I'm like, okay, whatever. Whatever, Adrian. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> thanks, man. Um, so, I, but I walk in, I go sit at my computer in my cubicle and I open up my email and I see that I had made two sales overnight, essentially. Nice. One of them was the biggest sale that was going to be made all year. Wow. The other one was another substantial size. So it was like, I don't remember. It was probably $60,000 total for these two moves. But that uh -huh. was a lot for, for uh, average size. An average move is like eight grand. So to make uh -huh. $60,000, it was wow. a huge, huge sale. And I remember the CCO walked into my cubicle not 10 minutes later. And he hadn't done this for anybody all week. Like he hadn't gone into cubicles. We would uh -huh. go into the conference room and talk to him, right? Comes into my cubicle is this, this French guy, Gregoire. And he was like, Kinan, have you made any sales so far this morning? And I'm like... It's 8.15. It's like any other day, it's 8.15. I just got on my computer. Why are you asking me if I made any sales? Yeah. But I was able to tell him, I was like, actually, I, I sold these two moves. And two he was big, like, yeah. two huge moves. And he was blown away. He was blown away. And I remember that afternoon, we had a, a like a, a Skype call where the whole region was on the Skype call. All the people in the office were there in the conference room. And then 
The others that work remotely or that were in our other office in Connecticut were on the call. And Gregoire, the CCO, gave this big presentation. And then when he got to the consumer business, which I was a part of, he gave me this huge shout out. And he was like, Keenan made these huge sales. We're expecting great things from him, like blah, blah, blah. And I remember, and I had never had a success, right? Like I had never had success like this in my, my career so far. Okay. So it was like really jarring for me. And I remember looking around the room and like all these people are like clapping and my boss is like shaking my shoulders, uh-huh. like really happy for me. Yeah. And I remember it was like in slow motion. I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is wild. Uh-huh. And that was, that was like one of the big moments for me, kind of like a hands up moment. Like, okay, God, I see you. Like I, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm done, you know, trying to fight this. Like, I understand. Thank you. I texted my brother after that. He was, he was like, I told you. <laughs> he was like, presence providence. That's awesome. It was, so that was, that was a big moment for me. Um, but what, when everything, you know, again, that, like I said, that gave me a greater desire for Christ, a greater desire to live a sacramental life. But two months later, um, I kind of, kind of fell back into the old lifestyle. Mm. Um, I think the devil started to realize, okay, he's, he's trying to make changes. And so yeah. he increased his grip, so to speak. Um, and so one weekend I was going to watch the Rockets play, uh, at a restaurant with some friends and I called my brother and I kind of explained to him whatever, what I was struggling with and things, you know, I was like, he's like, Hey, don't worry about it. Go to confession. Uh, keep praying your rosary. And I asked him a silly question after that, which a silly question that proved to be incredibly helpful to me. But I said, you know, I'm driving, I was driving and I was like, Hey, is it okay if we pray for the Rockets to win? Like, can you pray for your sports team to win? <laughs> and he goes, yes, but there's better things you can pray for than the sports team to win. Uh-huh. But you know, we're praying, we're praying the Warriors and they beat us every time in the playoffs, man. <laughs> and I was tired of that. And I was like, we gotta, we gotta beat them. And so this was, yeah, this was 2019. And he, uh, he goes, you know what you can do? He's like, you can make a deal with Mary. And I'm like, oh man, here we go. What, is, what does this mean? And he had been telling me over the last few months leading up to this that he had started praying four rosaries a day, which is just all the mysteries, right? The joyful, yes. luminous, sorrowful, glorious. Yes. So essentially praying the entire rosary. The, yeah, complete rosary. The complete rosary. And I was like, okay, here we go. And so he told me, he goes, you should make a deal with Mary. You'll tell her you're going to pray the four rosaries every day for seven days, hoping that she helps the Rockets beat the Warriors. <laughs> but even if they lose, they don't win, uh-huh. you pray them anyway. Yes. And, and you know, I think it's going to help you, but... You should try it. And, you know, I, re- I was hesitant because I was like, four rosaries a day. That's so much. Who has time for that? Uh-huh. I'm already going to mass every Sunday. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> what do you want from me, Adrian? Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I wanted the Rockets to win because the Rockets, you know, I was there when Chris Paul pulled his hamstring uh, oh. in game six. Like, all Rockets fans remember that. And I really yes. wanted them to beat the Warriors. So I was like, okay, fine. So I, I told him, okay, I'm going to pray the four rosaries. That night I go watch the game, they lose, they're out of the playoffs. <laughs> so as I told people, I was like, Mary's not a Rockets fan. She doesn't, she doesn't care too much for the Rockets. But uh, the next day I started doing the four rosaries. Uh-huh. I promised I would do that. And I haven't stopped praying four rosaries every single day since that day. Just because it changed, and I've said this to others, but it's changed my life in every single way. Like really, really given me this zeal for the faith uh-huh. that I had not had before. Uh, zeal to go to mass, to learn about the mass, to go to adoration. Um, just everything changed, especially with like fighting temptation and, and sin. She helped me immensely in that. Um, just overcome those sins that had a grip on me for so long. Um, gave me, and, and the greatest thing that my brother used to tell me, and I was like, what do you mean? Like he would, he would say, Mary orders your mind to Christ. And I'm like, what do you mean orders your mind? What is that? What is it? And he goes, I don't know. He even would say, I don't know exactly to explain it to you, but you'll know it when it happens. And uh-huh. I'm like, okay. And so when I started praying the four rosaries, I got to realize that just like 
I didn't get worried and anxious like I did before about things that were, you know, relatively, mm. in retrospect, trivial. Yes. Uh, but in that time, they would make me anxious. She helped me not get anxious about those things. She just gave me this peace. And I think it's a peace in result, resulting from just bringing me so much closer to Christ. And so she did that for me with the, with the recite, praying of the four rosaries. And so that's why I haven't stopped. I don't think I'll ever stop. Um, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I was, I was afraid you were going to say something about the, the Warriors because Herm, my partner in the podcast, he's a, he's a big Warriors fan. He's from San Francisco. So, huh. yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, that is tragic news, Rudy. That's tragic news. <laughs> Maybe he was doing eight rosaries. Maybe eight, you know what <laughs> he, might, he, he must have been. He must have been doing eight rosaries. Now, when you wanted to wipe the slate clean mm. and do a fresh start, did any of your friends at the time try to resist that? Try to pull you away, pull so, you back? So I, looking back, when I started praying the four rosaries, that's when I really started to step away. I had I. Had, not gone out. I wasn't going out near as much. And when I did, I would, I would go out with my friends maybe during the day, just have a couple beers, watch sports or something like that. It was, I had already moved in that direction because, I mean, what Father Matthew told me was the truth. Like I had to remove myself from the situations before I could maybe go back and like see those friends and hang out with them. Uh -huh. So I had started doing that. Um, but then when the four, I started praying the four, like it really, I really started to see I can't be around these situations. And so they started, some of my friends started to realize that. Some, some friends I stopped just getting, being in touch with. Um, it wasn't like a conscious decision. I think it was just the fact that I wasn't doing those things and therefore I wasn't hanging out with those people and, or talking to them because that was like the only time I would see those people. So I just stopped seeing them. Um, but I also started like post up on social media uh -huh. and my friends were like, what, what is he, what is this? What's <laughs> happening to this guy? <laughs> what, what is yeah. going on with Keenan? Who is, are you? Yeah, who, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I remember during COVID, because that was... This was end of 2019 where I started to like be active on social media about, you know, the Catholic faith and posting things about the rosary and things like that. Uh -huh. And I remember beginning of, co yeah, when COVID hit March of 2020 or whatever, um, I would get on Instagram and I felt like, you know, Mary wanted me to do this. I would get on Instagram and do Instagram lives, like videos, uh -huh. and I would pray the rosary. And I would, and before I would pray the rosary, I would, I would talk about one of the promises Mary made, the 15 promises she makes about praying the rosary every day. And so I would do that. Uh -huh. And people would see that and like they would comment and they would, it, a lot of them were supportive, which was really nice. Um, but I, I, I also knew that there was friends that would watch that and be like, okay, I'm not, I don't, I don't need to talk to him anymore. Like I don't, that's just not where I'm at. And I don't, yeah. I don't really, you know, get anything from this or whatever, which is uh -huh. fine. Like totally, I totally understood. But all in all, for the most part, the, the friends that did like reach out to me regarding what I was doing were supportive, which was a, a great blessing. Um, at the same time, I made a bunch of new friends. Um, being involved with the church and, and things like that because I, I started working at the faith formation program at St. Teresa for the high school kids. Okay. Which was huge for me. Adrian had done it the year before me and then he entered seminary okay. um, for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. Um, and uh, he was like, I remember, like I said, I started praying the four rosaries in May. In September, Adrian asked me, he's like, hey, Gabe wants you to join the faith formation program for okay. the high school kids. Uh -huh. And I was super hesitant because it was like, four and a half hours on a Sunday, every Sunday to do that. And I was like, it's a big commitment. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know about that, man. Cause I remember Adrian, Adrian would even like sometimes admit he was like, he would not be always looking forward to going just cause how much time it would take up. But yes. he said it was super fruitful for him. He learned a lot about the faith. He also got to experience like ministering to others um, and helping them out. Uh huh. And so I remember I had been praying for two things leading up to this. When, when he told me that Gabe wanted me to join, I had been praying for, 
an opportunity to lead others in the faith, which was, I don't know, again, I don't know where that came from. I, I think it was Mary, like, giving me this desire. Yeah. And at the same time, an opportunity to serve at the church. So these two, these two things. And then he comes and tells me that Gabe wants me to do this. And that was two birds with one stone. So I originally said, no, I don't want to do that. I remember we were down in Galveston with the family, kind of like, because he had just been in Galveston for the propedeutic uh, summer, which you do before you start your first year at seminary. Okay. And uh, he lived down there with the other first year men um, with, with Father Richard McNeely doing the propedeutic program, which is awesome. Um, so we went down there after he got finished with that. And we went down there for like four or five, four days. Uh, but I remember the second to last day he told me about Gabe wanting me to do the program. And I was like, no way. I don't want to do that. I want, <laughs> there's fantasy football. I just got red zone. I want, <laughs> I want to watch all the games. But then the next day, I, I remember I, I thought about it. And I was like, wait, I've been praying for like a month to, for the opportunity to lead uh-huh. and to serve at St. Teresa. And this is both. So I have to take this. And, and actually, it's funny because Adrian, that morning he told me, he didn't tell me this for a long time. But it was, it was probably a couple, like maybe six months ago, he told me that that morning he was sleeping on the couch in the, in the condo we were in. And he, he like was not fully awake, but not asleep. Okay. And he felt like God was showing him all the good that would come from me joining this program. Nice. And so he came to me that morning. I remember he came to me that morning. He's like, hey, you should do this. And I was like, yeah, I, I agree. Because um, I had that realization. This is what I was praying for. Uh-huh. And so I joined the program there at St. Teresa, and that was huge for me. Really grew in my faith, learned a lot, realized that I had a great joy in sharing the faith with these young men, these high schoolers, who I could see myself in, you know, lost, yes, not following the faith, not living the faith. Um, and it was just, it was very life-giving for me to like bring them back um, by means of Mary to, uh-huh. to her son Christ. So that was really fruitful and, and life-giving. I really, really loved doing that. Um, so yeah, that was great. It was a great time. Is your brother still in the seminary? Uh, so he he did his first year, what was that? Yeah, 2019 and 2020. COVID breaks out in 2020. He was up at HTS, Holy Trinity Seminary uh, uh-huh. in Dallas. Okay. That's where he was doing his pre-theology. Um, COVID breaks out. They shut down, I think, it's spring, during, during spring break. So like this time in 2020, HTS sent all their men home. Uh-huh. So he, for the remainder of like the school year, he lived at St. Mary's here in Houston. Um, but then he had been discerning religious life at the same time, um, particularly the Norbertines out in California. Okay. Um, and so actually his last interview for the archdiocese right after that, he flew out to the Norbertines to like do a come and see, and he really loved it, but he felt God was calling him to stay at the archdiocese for this year to, to study. And, and, and that's what he felt he should do. But then the spring semester, he really started to hear God's call, like, okay, you need to go and visit again. Uh-huh. This isn't over. You need to really flesh this out. So, uh, yeah, so COVID starts, and I, I actually booked a ticket to visit Norbertines myself because I was starting to, beginning of 2020, with the help of Gabe Castillo again, we were in an Exodus group, and he was uh-huh. really helping me just discern my vocation in marriage and priesthood. Yes. I remember the day, the morning, where I was like, Gabe, I think I need to discern the priesthood. And he's like, all right, man. And he like just goes off and he's like, you got to do this. We got to do this. You got to go see this place. Uh-huh. He was just on fire, which was great. Um, but he told me, he told me that I needed to visit the Norbertines. And the Norbertines actually visited. They do like a tour every year. They go to A&M, uh, uh-huh. Texas. They start in Austin and then I think they go to A&M and then they come to Houston. Um, and they came to St. Teresa's and the vocations director at the time, Father Ambrose, gave a talk. And it was an incredible talk. And I was like, wow. It was just on the kind of the crisis in the church and how, you know, 
attendance is down, you know, all these different problems we have, but how yes. there's great hope. Yes. Um, because of because of Jesus, there's great hope. And it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal talk. And then two guys that were there that were in that were seminarians at the Norbertines talked as well. And I was really like blown away. And I remember going up afterward and talking to the the vocations director and saying I would like to, you know, come visit. So I had booked a ticket for for April of twenty twenty. But then COVID breaks out. Oh. And I did not feel comfortable like leaving my job for five days during the beginning of COVID to yes. go visit. It just didn't feel like it was God's will. So I, you know, canceled my flight, but I got the credit. I ended up giving that credit to my brother so he could do his flight, okay. which he ended up taking in June. Um, so he did another come and see in June of that year uh, for like f- a whole week, like seven days. And I remember he called me uh, on the second to last day. And, you know, I, I was happy for him to do whatever he thought God's will was because yes. I knew he would be happiest doing that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I remember he called me. And, you know, he didn't want to go to the Norbertines because he liked being a seminarian here in Houston. He loved being here with the family and uh-huh. all these things. But he called, I remember he called me and he's like, yeah, it's not looking good, man. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> he's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, he's like, it's looking like I, this is where I'm supposed to be and this is where God wants me. And I remember telling him, um, you know what? So be it. Okay. Like, if this wow. is God's will, this is what you have to do. Wow. The next day he calls me and like confirms. It was the last day. He was about to fly back and he confirms. He's like, I'm, I'm, I told the vocations director. He was very happy. Um, wow. So I'm coming here. And I'm like, wow. And I just remember, I remember telling him, you know, so, you know, so be it. Like, this is God's will. This is what you have to do. This is, you know, there's going to be great things that come from this. Um, but he, man, he got me. He said, he was like, yeah, and you know, I, what I have to look forward to is coming, because they visit once a year. They visit Houston. They visit home once a year for okay. three weeks. That's their, their break they get. Okay. He's like, at least I have to look forward to coming back and seeing you and your family. Like, I can be the uncle uh-huh. to come and see you and your kids. And I remember just like breaking down crying, like <laughs> just getting super <laughs> emotional. Um, and then going home and, and my mom being, I was at my apartment. My mom came and visited because we had this, I had this nice pool and she liked to go there. And so she was visiting, but I remember I had to wear my sunglasses because my eyes were just, you know, I've been crying, uh-huh. but I didn't want my mom to know because she didn't know yet. Oh, she didn't know that he had decided yet. But she was very tense, very tense, and I had to keep my shades on. I was like, uh-huh. I can't, I can't let her see that I've been crying for the last thirty minutes. But uh, I remember walking up to my apartment. She was like, "Have you heard from Adrian?" And I said, "Yes." Um, and, oh. and she goes, "Well," and I was like, "It's been hard from him." <laughs> and so even with that, she knew. She knew. And so How she, did she, oh, she, it, 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 it tore apart. It was oh, extremely wow. hard on my mom, extremely hard. Um, she was extremely upset. And so Adrian was at the airport that day and she called him or he called her. And she was like, she was just, a mother's heart being broken makes mothers do very, can make mothers do very hard and kind of like harsh things. Uh-huh. And so she's like, go live with your brother. Don't come home. Like she was like so upset. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, Adrian came home and he came to my apartment. And so he stayed with me. Uh, and I remember the day when he was like, okay, we got to go talk to mom. And I'm like, okay. And again, I, I was starting to kind of discern, but I had not told my mom anything about my discernment. Okay. At all. But uh, so we go to my mom's place and she's just like super upset. And I can, I can tell she hasn't sleep. She hasn't slept like her eyes and everything. Uh-huh. And she's just like kind of arguing with my brother. She's like, I'm never going to see, you know, this is so selfish. How could you do this? Blah, so blah. is that the big thing for her that he, he was leaving? He was leaving and, you know, we'd only get to see him three weeks a oh. year and just like she's losing a son. And it so just, it's not necessarily the priest thing. No, no, no. Because yeah. she was totally supportive of him being at Galveston, a seminarian for Galveston. Okay. 
Like, because she would get to be with him and see him and go to yes. his masses when he yes. was a priest, all that. Like, so she was super happy about that. Okay. Thing. But the fact that he was leaving, uh, and she wouldn't get to see him. Yeah. Uh, so she was really, really upset. And I remember saying, I'm sitting in the couch in the living room and they're at the island and they're just going back and forth, back and forth. Um, but my mom had told him the day before that she was like, I'm, you know, she was so, and I, I totally understand in retrospect, but she was so upset. She's like, I'm done with the church. I'm done with, wow. I'm done with, you know, praying to Mary. I'm done, you know, all these different things. Wow. She's like, I've taken the pictures of Mary out of the house. It was like wow, crazy. But my brother in that, in the next day in that conversation, my brother was like, he, she was, you know, saying all these things. And he's like, I can't believe you took Mary out of the house. He's like, I can't believe you would, you would, you would do that. And he was crying and he hadn't cried yet in this whole conversation. Uh-huh. And right at that moment, my mom just like breaks down and it's like super sorry. She was like, I'm so sorry. You're right. I'm so sorry. I should have never done that. Like, so like looking back, it's like once Mary stepped into the conversation, everything got better. Wow. Like, and as, as she did for me, as she did for my brother, she did for my mom in that moment, she softened her heart. Right. Yeah. And let her kind of open her heart to what God was trying to do in our family's life and just work through that. And so once, once that came up in the conversation, the, com- the whole tone of the conversation shifted. Wow. And you're just like, it's going to be okay. Like you get to, you'll be able yeah. to see me. I get, you can write letters. I'm able to talk to you once a month, like all these different things. So everything just kind of smoothed over and she still struggles. We all kind of struggle with it. Right. Cause it's uh-huh. hard. Um, it's in a way he's, he's died in a sense. Right. The brother, our brothers, my brother's died. Yeah. Her son's died because he's, you know, this new life. Yeah. She had, she probably had all these thoughts about visiting of him course. as a priest and all of, of that. Course. And all those things. But now that all that had changed drastically. Yeah. So, but, but through, t- with time, she's gotten way better and she's fully supportive. Our both, both of our parents are fully supportive. Wow. Um, so yeah, so Adrian, I'm I'm getting goosebumps just (laughs) thinking about that moment in that conversation. What was going through your head? I was like, uh, I was, I could understand why my mom was so upset. I could also understand that this is the thing Adrian had to do. So Uh it was like this, this torn thing. Um, but I was just, I got to see Jesus work through Mary in this moment with my family. And, uh, I got to see how she made everything work out for, for the better. So it was, it was tough, but. But I, yeah, it was great. It was just great to see my mom kind of like her heart be softened and her come to see that this was the best thing for the family. Yes. That Adrian leaving was the best thing for the family, not just for him, not just for, you know, his vocation alone, but for the entire family. And my mom got to realize that. And so that was a great gift. How about your dad? He was, my dad was, it's interesting, you know, like he, (laughs) he, when my, my brother told him that my brother was leaving, he was like, okay, man, you got to do what you got to do. Uh-huh. He has this accent that I can't do this very well. But he's like, you got to do what you got to do, man. You got to do what you got to do. And we're like, okay. So Adrian, you know, Adrian comes back and he tells him, he's like, hey, okay. That's what God wants you to do. That's what God wants you to do. And so he was like super kind of like docile, which was interesting thinking back on that. Um, and and I, where was your dad at this point? Uh, he was in the States. He was back in the States. He was okay. living, we were living together. So when he came back after those six years or so, uh-huh. he, came, he moved in with me. So we got to live w- with each other for up until I went into seminary, which okay. was actually really awesome. And I really loved that time with him because when he was gone, I didn't really get to see him. Yeah. So it's kind of like we got to like catch up and like really get to know one another um, and grow in that relationship. So that was, that was a great gift. Uh, so he was living with me. And so he knew about, you know, everything that was going on. Um, and yeah, he was supportive uh, the whole time. So, so that was great. And then, you know, a few months later, I'm discerning. Yes. And I had kind of put it off for, because in October of 2019, so before COVID, I started hearing an adoration. I was going to adoration pretty consistently because my brother would kind of push me. But then I feel Mary really gave me that desire to go spend that time with the Lord. Uh-huh. 
and in adoration, I started to hear like not an audible sound, right? But like in the tugging of the heart, um, be a priest, be a priest, be a priest. And I'm like, what? No, I, that's the last thing I want to do <laughs> because I was finally in a position where I had a good job. I was making good money. Yeah. I was dating in a health, like courting, right? In a healthy way and okay. in a Christian, in a Christian sense. And I was really excited about that. And so to start to hear this in prayer, I was like, wait, I'm finally gotten to this point. I finally am in this position where I can kind of like live out this dream I've always wanted to have. Yes. And God's telling me, no, I want you to discern the priesthood. And I'm like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. So I remember taking, <laughs> I actually started to go to spiritual direction with Father Matthew. I brought this to him. Uh-huh. And he was like, okay, you need to remain open. This is gonna be a long process. You know, this might take a year or two years. You uh-huh. need to be open to that. And you need to read this book to save a thousand souls, which is like the quintessential discernment book for, yes. for men, right? For seminary. Yeah. A lot of our guests have talked about that book. Yeah. And it proved to be good for me, but I put it off for like nine months. I didn't, I didn't touch the book for nine months. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't open. Um, and, I, and I was dating. So I was like totally opposed to the idea. Um, but I was still going to adoration. I was still going into prayer and I was asking God, what do you want me to do? And he kept saying, be a priest, be a priest, be a priest. And I'm like, I would live, I would leave adoration, like upset, like angry. Uh-huh. Um, but eventually after nine, 10 months of doing that, in about August of 2020, I finally kind of like surrendered. I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Um, and I, I reached out to Father Richard McNeely uh-huh. and I told him my story and I met with him probably four times leading up to December of 2020. Uh-huh. Because in December of 2020, I went on a five-day silent retreat at St. Mary's. At this point, uh, when you were, you know, thinking about it before you reached out to uh, uh, Father Richard, the, you know, vocation director, did your parents say anything like after your brother, you know, joined the Norbertines, don't yeah. you get any ideas about leaving as well? Yeah, Did they, they say anything? They like joked about it, but it wasn't like, it didn't come up too often. Uh-huh. Um, they saw that I was doing well in my job. Another thing, just to just go back just a little bit. Another thing that happened after I started to pray those rosaries and really just dive all in, like work went really, really well. Like during COVID, I got like two promotions. I was made the sales director of the region. Like nice. all these incredible uh-huh. things happened. And, and, and God made, gave me the grace to realize that it wasn't me. You know what I mean? Like it was, I would show up every day and I work as hard as I could, but God opened all these doors for me. Yes. Um, something else was at work. Something else was at work. And it was, and it was such a blessing just to be able to realize that. Uh-huh. Not just seeing that, oh, I'm doing all these great, look at, no. It was like, God is working through all of this. It was that thing that your brother said to you. Presence providence. Yeah. Yes. So it was just, it continued to work throughout my time at that company. Um, so again, made all the, made it all the harder to discern priesthood because all these great things were happening. But I, towards the end of that discernment or that time of discernment, I was realizing, okay, God gave me all these things. Mm-hmm. So this is a test. He's like, I've done all this for you. Well, now will you give to me? Like, will you, will you now give yourself to me? Uh-huh. So it was, it was the test. And so I realized, okay, I have to. So that's when I started to meet with Father Richard. And then in November, I knew I was going on the five-day silent retreat. And I knew I needed to tell my mom and my parents that I was going to do that. Oh. I, couldn't, I couldn't like go to the five-day silent retreat and then they find out I'm on a five-day silent retreat because I'm not answering my phone. <laughs> yes. I'm, a sign, I'm on a silent retreat. Yes. And then they're like, Adrian, what is Keenan doing? Like, what is, where is he? So I remember... I went to dinner one night with my mom, my sister, and my brother. Um, and for some reason, it was so weird. For some reason, we got in this really heated argument about like politics, which never happened. Like we didn't talk about that because it's uh-huh. just not, it's not, you know, there's no, no reason to. And 
we were like very upset with each other. And then we went back to the apartment, still very angry. And I remember going to my apartment um, and like sitting in my room and be like, I can't go to bed like this. Like talking to my mom like that, this, uh-huh. this argument it just didn't feel right. It didn't uh-huh. feel good. And at the time it was kind of funny. My mom moved into the same apartment complex. So like our oh. whole family lived kind of back together. Cause my, uh-huh. I was living with my, my dad was living with me. And my mom got her own apartment at the same complex. Cause it, yes. was, it was a nice complex. It was close to St. Lawrence where she worked. And my sister lived with her and my brother lived with her. So the whole family was like across the street from each other. Yeah. Which was really nice. It was yeah. really, really great. Um, but so I went back to my apartment. She went to hers and I was so upset and I felt so bad. And so I walk across the street and I go to her. I'm like, mom, I'm so sorry. And so we, you know, made up and everything was uh-huh. fine. And for some reason, I told myself that day I had to tell her. So that all, so it was weird that all this stuff had, all this, this argument had happened. Like what? Yeah. So after we finally like, we're cool and we're sitting there in her room and I'm like, Hey, I have to tell you something. <laughs> and she's like, okay. And I was like, I, and I need you to, and I was like, I told her, I need you to be okay with this. <laughs> Did you have to sit her down first? Uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, I need you to be cool. Like, just, just hear me out. Because oh. at that, at that point in time, uh, my brother was, you know, so, like I said, so crucial in my reversion back to the faith. Yeah. So important. Without him, I would not be here. But when I told him how, how, what was coming from prayer, he knew what that was. And he knew that I was going to need to enter seminary. And he wasn't really happy about it. Really? Like, first, like his initial reaction was a very, very human reaction. And he even retro, in retrospect now, he's like, yeah, I was, you know, I was just, it was like this like almost selfish tendency of the priesthood was going to be my thing in the family. And now uh. you're like <laughs> joining it. You're like stealing my fire in a sense. And he was super honest uh-huh. about it from the beginning. He uh-huh. was like, this is, I don't like that this is coming up within me and I'm going to need time to work through this, but right now I'm not happy about this, right? I'm the priest in the family. You're going to be the, yeah, the dad. The dad or... and you're going to have a family and I want to visit your family and all these things. But so he wasn't super supportive at the beginning. Um, and so when I told my mom, I was like, I need you to be okay with this because, you know, Adrian's not super happy about it. I uh-huh. need you to be supportive. And so I told her, I'm, I'm discerning the priesthood and I'm probably going to, I might enter seminary. And I remember she told me, she goes, she sits there and she's looking and she's like, I think I already knew. Wow. Like, like, what do you mean you already knew? She goes, two weeks ago in mass, I remember sitting there and I feel like God told me Keenan's going to discern the priesthood and he's probably going to enter seminary. Uh And I was like, what? She was like, yeah. So I think God kind of told me and I'm super happy about it. And I was like, thank you. I was like, thank you, Lord. And I remember telling Adrian afterward (laughs) and he goes, really? You couldn't have done that for me? What's wrong? Why didn't you do that for me? He had to have that argument. Yeah, he had to do it the hard way. But I think, I think in his... And his discernment, because it was so hard on the family, I think it kind of paved the way and made it easier for my parents. So telling my mom, she was super supportive and uh-huh. super happy. I told my dad, and his first reaction was like, is Adrian putting you up to this? Is this him? <laughs> I'm like, dad, that's not how discernment works. There's a bad influence on <laughs> you, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is not how discernment works, man. This is, uh-huh. you know, you, you pray and you, you want to do what God wants you to do. And, yeah. and, he, and he got it eventually. And he was super supportive. So they've been very supportive of the both of us since then. Um, speaking of the thought of you being the dad, mm-hmm. did, was there any pressure from maybe in, in the back of your mind that you had to carry on the family name since your brother was entering the priesthood? Yeah, that definitely, that definitely like came up when, in thinking about and discerning, it's like, okay, if I become a priest, the family name ends because I'm, you know, me and Adrian are not uh-huh. going to have families. We have a sister, but she's not going she's gonna she can't pass on the name. So it's uh-huh. like, wow, okay. Do you have any cousins on your dad's side or anything? Yes, one cousin. One cousin. With the family name? With or? the family name. So okay. he can. So, so there's he something. Would, he can and yeah. yeah. But you know, at the same time, it felt like just a great opportunity to, you know, the family had had a, just kind of like a, a 
a checkered past in a way uh-huh. on my dad's side. Just his dad and his the dad before him, they just weren't. Let's just say they weren't. They didn't live the faith. Either, okay. Very well. Okay. Um, so it kind of seemed like an. Uh, it, at the same time, I would think, oh, the family name. But then I also thought this is an opportunity to kind of like redeem the family in a sense, in a way. Okay. With, with God, like you know. Let's okay. Now we can kind of do our part to redeem and and or cleanse the family tree in some in way. A, in, a, in a sense, right? Yeah. In a sense. So so I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get too hung up on on the family name. Uh huh. So what what about your parents' relationship when at that point when you know you were living across from each other? Did anything happen between the two of them? Did any sparks fly? Uh, no, no. But they, you know, even earlier on, they were always friends. They were always they were always cordial. Okay. And they were always still friends. And so just living together, it was, I mean, across the street from one another, it, there was more family outings again. Okay. Just everybody going out together. Um, that was the extent of it, but that was still a great, that was just a great time for the whole family being together. And probably helped your sister too a yes, lot. Helped this, my sister too a lot, just to see everyone back together. Cause she was at such a vulnerable age when everything kind of fell apart. Yeah. For her to see it all come back together. And really I've, you know, I've, and kind of like praying over this and, and talking with, even talking with Gabe, like he kind of made me realize like Adrian saying yes to God in a really fully committed way and leaning on Mary with everything he had brought our whole family back together. Like, because before that, the whole family was just, you know, my parents were divorced and we all, and people weren't going to mass and stuff like that. But ever since then, everyone is so much more faithful. My sister my parents, my dad was already like practicing again because he kind of had a reversion when he went to El Salvador. He kind of came back to the church oh. in the, during that time, which was pretty interesting. Um, Probably taking care of his dad, you know, thinking about his own mortality yes, and all of that and then reflecting because you have all that time. Exactly, exactly. So he, he kind of had his reversion there. He came back to the States. And then just with Adrian living, being such a witness to the family, yes, especially with his marrying devotion, it was infectious to all of us. And then... Then my parents seeing what happened to me and my coming back and going from this one person now to, to praying the four rosaries every day and then and starting Bible studies with friends from high school and just all these different things. Uh-huh. It brought the, my mom too. It, it really boosted her faith to where wow. she prays multiple rosaries a day. Now my dad prays multiple rosaries a day. They all go to confession, mass, adoration. So they're all doing those things. But it all started with Adrian saying yes and kind of like giving our whole family to Mary and being like, Mary... Do what you do best. Soften uh-huh. all their stony, rocky hearts and bring them back to Jesus. And that's what happened. And it was in the course of three years, the family kind of changed 180 degrees. Wow. So it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Wow. Is your sister discerning anything? No, in any? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> that <She's>, would be awesome. <laughs> I One, two, her. three, you we know? know? We definitely give her a hard time. We're like, okay, so when are you entering the convent? Um, <laughs> what's your name going to be? No. We give her a hard time, but she she doesn't appreciate that. <laughs> she, but no, she's you know she's still growing in her faith. She's still on her we're all on her journey. Yeah, um, but she's still she's still coming back, and so but she's she's really doing doing well now because uh, the you know the divorce and everything had a heavy impact on her. She dealt with a lot of anxiety and things like that, and so it's been a hard road for her. Yeah, and it doesn't I, yeah it doesn't change overnight. No, no. Um, yeah. And I, you know, and you know, when I was living that lifestyle at home, she was there. So it was just, she had a tough life. Um, but she weren't the best role model. No, no, not at all. Not at all. So, uh, you know, now she's really come a long way and I'm really proud of her and happy for her. And I love her very, very much. And so she's, she's doing much better. Um, 
But yeah, she, I don't know. She, she has a great, she's dating this guy right now and he's awesome, awesome guy. So I'm really happy for her. So she's doing, she's doing really well. Do you ever tease her like guy she's dating? Hey, maybe I can pull him into the seminary. No, <laughs> no. I don't want to. I've given I've given her enough trouble. I'm gonna let, I let her live her life. You know, I tr- try to get her to pray. Or the, I try to get her to pray the rosary, and she does that. So that's been great. Let's talk about the seminary now. Yeah. You're you've been in the seminary for uh, several months now. What's life like there? Is it everything that you imagined it would be? Yeah, people ask me that verbatim question, and I always say yes, but but more so. So it's even better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of envisioned, yeah, we'll grow and I'll get to learn. I, I was really excited to go back to school because my first, you know, um, try at college was not a great effort, right? It was just not, I was not uh, focused. I was not disciplined. I was not committed. You went through focused, the motions. Went through the motions, yeah. skipped a lot of class, just not good. Now I saw it as another opportunity. Because I even even before the sermon, I kind of had the desire to go back to school to try again, uh-huh. to give it my better effort, to give really commit myself and avail myself of the resources available and everything. But so now I saw this as, a, as an opportunity to do that, and it's been that opportunity, and, I, and I've I've really kind of strived to give my best at that, and I've really seen the fruit from it, uh-huh. um, and I've really enjoyed learning. You know, we're studying philosophy primarily with a couple of theology classes, and I just loved it. It's been great. Um, so yeah, seminary life has just been. Everything I thought it was going to be, but more. Um, the campus at St. Mary's is beautiful. So just to get to live there, this beautiful campus um, is great. And having the chapel we have there, it's a beautiful, beautiful chapel. So getting to pray there every day oh. is such a blessing. Yes, a, a lot blessing. of our, our former guests have talked about that chapel and, and the many tears they've shed. Yeah, and actually I have a, just a, a brief story about kind of the final affirmation I got to enter seminary there. Was, at, was in that chapel during that five-day silent retreat. Really? I remember, so it was an Ignatian-style retreat where you have a, a director that you meet with once a day for an hour, and in between those meetings, he gives you roughly four or five scriptures. Okay. You pray one holy hour with each scripture, right? You just like sit there and uh-huh. see what God's trying to tell you through, through his word. And the first morning, I went into that chapel, and I knelt down, and I prayed with Jeremiah 29, uh, and the line that stuck out was, you know, the, I have a future, a future for you, one of full of hope, whatever the, the phrasing is. Uh-huh. And I remember that sat with me. And I, so I sat with it and I was like, man. And I remember looking up, there's this beautiful mosaic above the baldacchino at the, in the, by, behind the altar. Okay. The seminary. And it's the tree of life. So there's all these branches and then there's 12 doves on the, or birds on the, on the branches that represent the apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh-huh. And then there's the lamb at the top. And I remember looking and like getting super emotional. And I remember hearing, again, like a tugging of the heart, like, this is your home. And I'm like, oh, wow. And so I remember sitting there with that. And then I went back to my, the spiritual director and I told him, hey, this is what happened in, during prayer. And he goes, and it was actually Father Richard McNeely. And he goes, okay, I want you to go back to the same spot in the chapel and sit there with the same Bible verse and see what happens. And in Ignatian spirituality, it's, it's what they call repetition. You want to see, you're not looking for the same experience, but you're wanting to see what God will do with that, that opportunity, I guess. Okay. So I went back the next morning. And I remember looking in the chapel and all the lights were off, but a lot of natural light was coming in. And so I thought maybe I should turn the lights on so I can see the mosaic back there. Uh-huh. But I saw a seminarian sitting in there. And I was like, no, maybe he likes the natural light and I'm not yeah. gonna, I don't want to disturb his time of prayer. So I went in there and knelt down. And I know, now I know who, what seminarian it was. So the, the next part of this, he actually confirmed happened too. So I wasn't losing my mind. But I went and knelt down in the same spot. And I'm meditating on the same passage from Jeremiah. And I got some of the same feelings. Um... But then maybe 10 minutes later, seminarians started coming in to set up for mass. Okay. Because they were going to have mass at nine, nine or so. I can't remember. 
And I remember as they came in, they turned on all the lights. <clears throat> and so when they turn the lights on, I can see the mosaic finally. And so I look up to the mosaic. And I remember sitting there and being like, hearing very clearly once again, very distinctly, this is home. And I remember right when like I, that thought finished in my mind, this is home. Yeah. There's a light that's directly, there's like two rows of lights that go down the whole chapel. There's okay. a light that's kind of right in front of the Blessed Virgin Mary statue. And when I heard or felt in my heart, this is home, the light above the Blessed Virgin, Blessed Virgin Mary like popped. Wow. It like turned off and on again, like cracked. It made this noise. Like a flicker. Yeah, like a, yeah. exactly like a flicker. And I had never, I hadn't seen that since I had been there. And I remember later now talking to that seminarian who was there, who I've become good friends with. He said, I remember that. He goes, I remember sitting there and hearing that light crackle like that. And I uh -huh. looked up and I was like, and he's like, I've been in that chapel many, many, many times and I've never seen that happen. So it was like great to get that wow. like confirmation that like that happened. Yeah, and that yeah. was kind of a unique thing. That so it wasn't in like, your imagination or anything. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like Mary giving me that final, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. And after I kind of made that decision internally and I went and told the spiritual director that, uh -huh. I had so much peace. Wow. Where the rest of that five-day silent retreat was just pure, just like peace, prayer, consolation. So that was great. So I just wanted to mention that because I was a... Who was the cooking. seminarian? Carlos Valero. He's a second theologian. Um, and he's uh, he's awesome. And he's been great. And he's been very helpful and with becoming a seminarian and, and learning how to, how to be a seminarian. So, uh, so, but it was, it was just awesome having that conversation with him and him being like, yeah, dude, I remember that. That was crazy. One of the things that we ask the priests and deacons and seminarians who've been through to our show is the pranks in the seminary, the hijinks. All right. You've only been there for a few months. Yeah. What have you witnessed so what far? I, what have I witnessed? Have you been a part of a masterminded perhaps I, or a victim? I don't think I, you know, I saw, and I've, and I got, I've, I've heard the story detailed about Father uh, Chad and Deacon Christopher and Deacon Jacob. <laughs> Deacon Jacob, yes. which that was awesome. Um, I Were wasn't you, there for that. You weren't there. No, okay. no, no. But just seeing it afterward and seeing Father Chad just be be so silly was awesome. It was great. But I'm trying to think. I haven't. Are you still warming up? Is yeah, <laughs> you know, as a prefect, I just try to stay under the. You know, there's a there's a level of staying under the radar, not trying to like. Okay. So I, I've, I've tried to do that. I don't, I'm trying to see, see if there's any, if any other pranks have happened though. I don't Is there an unwritten rule not to prank any of the first year seminarians? No, there's not an unwritten rule. Um, but I don't know. It just, I, there hasn't really been pranks on campus this year. Maybe I'm forgetting something. So uh -huh. maybe somebody else, maybe Deacon Jacob will come on and, and talk about it. But I don't think there's been anything. I'm trying to remember. I don't think there's been anything. We had... It wasn't a prank, but we had Newman's night, which at the seminary, you, all the new men, including priests, if it's their first year at the seminary, you put on like a performance okay. for, the whole, for the whole house. Okay. Um, and so <laughs> we did like, we didn't know that you could use videos, that you can like make videos to, to show to the house as part of it. Okay. So our, we did the whole thing live, just a bunch of skits. Okay. Um, and that was a blast. We had a lot of fun with that. That was, you know, you know we did... We did kind of like a creation story um, to where we would, we used the beginning of Genesis. So on the first day, this happened on the second day, and we did all the way to the seventh day. Um, and Father Richard Hinckley, the head of spiritual formation, he was kind of like Father Time, kind of narrating the whole thing. And uh -huh. it was hilarious. He was hilarious. It was awesome. Um, so it was, that was a lot of fun, but it wasn't a prank per se. It was just us being, 
you know, every skit was funny. It was the, yeah. the intention was to make them laugh, and we I think we did a good job of that. So that you was just a lot of fun. just have a lot of fun in the seminary. Yes, because exactly. it's a whole bunch of guys. Yeah, and you know, like getting <laughs> to one of the things that I, I guess I didn't realize before entering was like basketball and the sports were a part of the the daily life. Uh huh. So that's been a ton of fun playing sports with the guys because my past experience of playing sports was not like playing sports in the seminary insofar as, you know, back in high school and stuff in college, there's a lot of trash talk. And, oh, you know, it gets intense. Yes. It's intense and not intense in a good way. Like, yeah, yeah. So there's good, there's good oh. competition yeah. and that's good. Like competition's good, but like not when it, when you're verbally assaulting other people, like no. Yeah. So on the, the verge of fighting. Right. Yeah. Seminary's <laughs> not like that. You're playing with a bunch of brothers. They're all with like-minded trying to grow in holiness and virtue. Uh-huh. And sports is a means to that end, right? Sports can be a means of growing in virtue. Uh, one, the practice involved. Also, like, not getting uh, upset or angry. Uh, like, controlling your emotions, which in the practicing seminary... Practicing self-restraint. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a great exercise in that. So, sports has been a great, just a, a lot of fun, one, but two, also an, an opportunity to grow in virtue. Because there's, I had a lot of bad habits from playing high school basketball uh-huh. and, and the way in which I carried myself. So, I've had to, like dial those back and rein those in. And that's been very humbling for me um, and just a great experience. How do you compare life in the seminary with your fraternity life that you had in your old life? It's like night and day. It's so much healthier. You know, the things that are advocated for at seminary actually make you a better man, make you a better person because it's all centered around a life life of prayer and a life in and through Jesus Christ. Um, So... It's it's night and day. It just, it can't, you cannot compare the two because it's just so different. When you look back at your old life, mm-hmm. was there a make or break point that this is the point where if I had gone the wrong way, my life would be just completely different? It, in, a, in a way, yes, there was one. It was when I realized that my brother was really living this life now. And if I wanted to remain as close as I was to him, and still be best friends and still hang out all the time, I'm probably, I'm going to have to change. And so it was really a fear of losing my brother that I did not want to happen. Yeah. Like I realized, well, one, you know, he kind of made me realize what eternity actually is. <laughs> and he told me this story, which really kind of made me sit with it. He goes, it's like a metaphor, just a way of d- describing eternity. He said, imagine there's an ant that is tasked with taking one grain of sand from the West Coast and walking all the way to the East Coast and dropping off that grain of sand. Uh-huh. And he does that journey until there's no more sand left on the West Coast, which is, you know, yeah. trillions of grains, <laughs> whatever it is. It's an unbelievable yeah. number. He said, when the ant finally finishes, eternity will not have begun because eternity is totally, has nothing to do with time. Wow. Right? And yeah. so I remember hearing that and I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, maybe a life, living in living in a state of moral sin is not not <laughs> not, uh, not not the best not the best way to, to go about living life. Yeah. So, so that those discussions with him, uh huh, because he would come back from faith formation at Saint Teresa, and we would talk, and he would teach me things that I didn't know about of the faith, and I learned so much during that time, and it made me realize how important it was. But it was really, like I said, it was the fear of losing my brother that I did not want to happen. So I kind of came to a point, and there had been points leading up to that where I was so, you know, upset and anxious and worried that I remember there's a couple of times where I was just like, I would break down in my room and my brother would see that because uh-huh. I would keep making the same mistakes. Oh. I would keep not doing what I was supposed to be doing, even with work and things like that. Like uh-huh. it kept happening over and over and over again. I'm like, when is this going to stop? I can't keep living life like this. So there was kind of that, okay. that feeling that I had. Um, 
And my brother saw it. My brother got to witness it. So he got to see and then kind of talk me through that. And that was kind of the, right the beginning of all that. So, Do you think about the person that you could have become if you had kept going on that oh, old yeah. path? Yeah. I mean, it would have been, a, it would, yes. I mean, unfortunately, people that I don't really talk to very often anymore, I can see how they live their lives. And I was like, that would have been me just doing the same things. Uh-huh. But you, you see that life only gets like worse in that way. Um, and yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been good. I don't, I don't like to think about it because it's just like, you know, and I, I can't even imagine not having the devotion to Mary that I have. Cause I, I think without it, it would be a scary, just a scary place. Just cause how close she's brought me to Jesus. Right. Not having that. I don't even want to think about it just cause I knew what it was like. Uh-huh. Just that constant anxiety, that constant worry about things you shouldn't worry about. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, life would have been, would have been way just not, not good. Now, a lot of the priests and deacons and seminarians that we've spoken to, they've been honest and open with their struggles with celibacy. Mm-hmm. Have you had any struggle with the idea of celibacy that you'll, if you do eventually become a priest, that you will not have children? You right. Know, you'll not get married. I think, you know, it's, I've definitely thought about it. Um, that was one of the hangups during the, you know, early on in the discernment. I wanted to date. I wanted to get married. I wanted uh-huh. to have a family. Um, but I think through praying through it all those times, uh, realizing and, and having the affirmation after being for, at seminary for the amount of time I've been there. I know it's not very, been very, very long. I'm in the honeymoon stage, if you want to call it. Uh huh. At the same time, I've never been happier in my entire life. And so in seeking and doing God's will, that's all I care about doing um, because I've seen how happy and fulfilling it is. And I have never experienced it in any other doing anything else um, that since I can remember. So yeah, the thoughts of celibacy, definitely they, they've creep, crept up and I'm sure there's going to be down the line, I'm going to have second thoughts and I'm going to have to battle through those and, and, and whatnot because I've heard from the older guys. That, yeah, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing, right? Discernment's ongoing. Uh-huh. And so are, you know, the enemy will try to, whisper things to you and, and have suggestions. And so you have to fight against those. But, um, so, you know, so far, I think I've been able to realize in this first six, seven months, just cause we have great, we have great priests at the seminary. Uh-huh. And so we've had, you know, our formator, Father Richard Hinckley's, we have formation meetings every Friday and we've had talks about celibacy and he has put, he's just explained it and explained the gift that it is so well to us. Um, that, you know, by not, by, you know, in your vocation, whether married or priesthood, it's, it's giving yourself entirely to the other. So if it's a priest, you're giving yourself entirely to the church. Uh-huh. All your love, every, all your, your gifts from God that you've given, all your talents, those are given to the church entirely. Uh-huh. Your entire self is given. In marriage, the same thing happens, right? You give yourself entirely to your spouse. Yes. Um, so in being able to do that while being celibate for the church, I've, I've at least hearing from the priest, you can kind of see that you're able to give more yourself in that way mm-hmm. to the church with celibacy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that, that love you can give to the church and then your future flock is greater because of, because of that celibacy. So they've, they've, the priests have done a great job and, and older guys have done a great job of just showing how that allows you to give yourself more fully in, in the priesthood. So, Do you have any friends that have already started to have kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, that's been, and I've actually been able to be godfather for two of them, which is awesome. It's such a gift. One of them, who he lives in, uh, he lives in Kansas. Um, Maddox is the bo- little boy's name. I'm like his godfather. And then actually, Gabe's 
Gabe's uh, Bernadette, who was born, I think she's maybe a, oh man, what is she? Like a year now, almost? Maybe, uh-huh. yeah. I'm her godfather. So yeah, it's, that's been really cool. Uh-huh. Also in the, in so far as like, if I, God willing, become a priest, I could give them their first communion. Like it could line up uh-huh. where that, that would be the case. So that's really cool. That's been cool to think about. Now, some of the, the priests and seminarians that have uh, been through our show, some of them say once they entered seminary, there was no looking back. They knew that that was it. Others have said, you know, they were still kind of open to see what God's plan was for them. How, how was it for you? I like where I am right now, I want to become a priest. Like that's, it seems very straightforward, Uh especially because the affirmations I've received, how much I love life at seminary. You know, now I know I'm sure there's going to be very hard times ahead and that's just part of the journey, but I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm always going to do my best to remain open to God's will. So if he wants me to go to four years of seminary and that's just to become a better man so I can, you know, leave seminary and start a healthy Catholic family. Okay. But Right now, I, I'm pretty confident that this is the journey I'm supposed to be on and that I'm going to become a priest. But again, I'm not, it's very early in the game, so uh-huh. I'm not going to say for 100% because I, I want to always try to be docile to God's will and the movements of the heart and everything. I don't want to just like block anything off. But right now, I'm pretty confident that I'll, God willing, become a priest. So, Is there a girl that you broke up with to enter the seminary? <laughs> there, so there was... I was dating right before I reached out to Father Richard McKinley for the vocations process. Okay. The, the, yeah, applying and all those things. And it was actually on a date I went on where the, the girl, like it was kind of like Christ was speaking through this, this, this girl to me. Uh-huh. Because she was saying, we were at dinner and she was talking about, you know, like there comes a point where you just have to stop running away from what God wants you to do. And I'm just like... <laughs> You have no idea what you're telling me right now. Like, you know, this is, this is kind of crazy. Yeah. She's like, yeah, it's just like, once you surrender to God's will, you just become so much more happy. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh man. And so like two days later I had to call her. And I was like, Hey, I'm so sorry, but I really need to discern priesthood. Um, you know, and uh-huh. she was awesome. She was very holy, like really, uh-huh. really great girl. So, but she was totally understanding, which was great. Um, but yeah, she, Christ definitely spoke through her. I was like, yeah, you need to stop running away from what I'm trying to tell you to do. So, do you keep her number in a drawer just in <laughs> no. case you discern out? <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. Has she checked in with you? No, no. you know, we hadn't, hey, how's it going? We hadn't actually been dating for that long. So okay. it, wasn't, it was kind of early on, which was fortunate. Um, so no, I hadn't, I hadn't really. Who knows? Maybe touch. she's on her own discernment journey. You never know. You never know. Yeah. So now, speaking of the seminary, are you part of the basketball team? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. It's been great. I've, I've really loved playing on the team this year. We, uh, we, um, we went to the re- very, most recently we went to the tournament at Josephinum in Ohio, the Josephinum seminary. Um, and there was like eight other seminaries there or seven. How'd that you was do? a blast. So we lost in the semis. Okay. We won. So it started with pool play. Um, and we won every game of pool play. Okay. And so it was one game Friday night. And then three games Saturday. The third game, I was, I had nothing left. Um, nothing left. <laughs> three games three on games. a Saturday. Wow. We actually, so it was pretty funny. <laughs> Some of the guys went and bought one of those big plastic tubs and filled it with ice. Okay. And put it in the restroom. So we took like ice baths. Like uh-huh. we, to yeah. Like, you know, to like kind of like repair and, and um, replenish. Yeah. Before the third game. 
Um, I do think the ice bath helped. It was really hard, but I think it helped because the next day I wasn't as sore. But I think it was just a matter of like cardio wise being gassed. Yeah. It was the third game. Oh. I had nothing left and all the other guys were gassed. I mean, we we're all just done. And I, I played, I played point guard for the team. Okay. Which I never played before. So it's been a new experience. Oh, yeah. But I remember <laughs> at the beginning of the game, this other team was good. They were good. They ended up losing in the finals to Josephinum. The Josephinum has a great team and they have, they have one guy who was like a uh, D2 college player. He's phenomenal. Oh like, wow! Really, really good. But we we lost to in the semis St. Mary's of Baltimore, and they had these two twins. Um, I can't remember their names, but they were very they were in great shape. Like I could tell they ran all the time. Okay, and they were smart, and so they saw me that I, they saw I was tired. Oh, right, right from the jump, the guys like these guys are tired. We got to press them, and so oh. he pressed. He pressed like three quarters of the court the whole game, and I was just I couldn't I couldn't do it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So. You guys are preparing for the seminary, seminarians versus priests or priests versus seminarians game. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And we're very, we're very, very, very excited. So Deacon, game. Deacon Christopher has talked about some of the trash talk that happens in bet- between the two teams. Yeah. Have you witnessed any of that? I, I have, I have not. Um, I probably, <laughs> I no, I haven't, I haven't experienced any of that. Um, Deacon Christopher knows all the priests that are like on the team because he's played in the games, uh-huh. like all the games they've had, I think since it started. Um, but I just, I just can say that I'm looking very much forward to the game. I think based on what I've, I've heard, Father Chad is, will be a point guard for them and oh. he'll be guarding me and I'll be guarding him. According to your scouts, right? To, yeah. According to our, according to the sources we have, the little birds we have, I guess, walk, watching the practices. I'm just kidding. We don't have that. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to be playing against Father Chad. So I'm, I'm uh, very much looking forward to that. How tall are you? Six, one and three quarters. Roughly. Okay. Yeah. And what's your size compared to the other guys on the team? Who, who do we have on the starting five? For the seminary? Yes. So it's me and then Arturo Escobedo, and he's from Brownsville. Okay. He's, a, he's shorter, um, but he's, he's like our two, two guard. Okay. Then Deacon Christopher plays like a three or a four. Okay. And then Luke Prohoda is like six, seven or six, oh, wow. eight. He's really tall and he's a great player. He's great. So he's your center. He's our center and he can, he's got great fundamentals down low on the block. So he's, he's, he's great. Um, who else? I'm trying to think of the other one. Who are you worried about on the priest team? Probably Father David Michael. I think he, I'm pretty sure he's pretty good. Um, Father Houston, perhaps? Father, yes. And Wasn't Father he Houston. the MVP? Yeah, he was the MVP. Apparently he can, couple go, years he ago. can do some damage down low. So hopefully, I'm hoping. Oh, and we have, I'm trying to think. Raymond Snodgrass also plays. I don't know if he starts, but he's another big man, and he's a big dude. He's just tall. Oh, so you can have a Twin Towers type thing going we on. We could. And so I think that might be able to handle Houston because I know Houston scored a lot and he's, he can be a serious, <laughs> he's just, I heard he's just super strong. So uh-huh. He can move people around. But I think if we have Raymond in there and Luke, it could be, it could, you know, handle that situation. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And I think there's a buildup to this one because of the fact that last year they didn't have a game, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of anticipation. Yeah. Maybe some, some guys who played a couple of years ago wanting to, you know, up their performance or make up for a bad performance or I, something like that? I think so. I think because I, I went to that last game uh-huh. and that was a blast. I mean, that game, that was before I entered, right? That was before I entered seminary. Uh-huh. I don't think I even was discerning at that point. Well, maybe I was. No, I was. But yeah, I remember being there and it was just such like an energy charged like environment. Yes. Um, and it was a close game but from what I remember for the most part. And, and at least the ending was very close, but the, I think the seminarians pulled away. So I'm sure the priests 
are you know biting at the chance to to come back and, and beat us, but I'm pretty confident that that's not going to happen. So especially since there's been some lineup changes as well, because you know in a couple of years some of those players they move teams. Deacon Christopher, yes, yeah. so that's going to hurt. Yeah, him leaving is going to hurt. Um, and and Luke will leave. He's a T3, so he'll become a deacon this year. He'll be gone after next year. So. Yeah, there's going to be some changes, but see, hopefully, you know, maybe some of the new guys coming in. And then compared to last time too, right? What, what Father Houston was he a seminarian in the uh, yes a couple of years yeah, ago? So exactly when right. he was MVP, so when he was MVP, he was yeah, he was yes, he was a seminarian. So yeah, yeah. so a, a very interesting dynamic. What's going to happen? Yeah, but I'm we're <laughs> but we're excited. Oh, I can we're imagine because it's just the buildup of two years of trash talk and two years of anticipation. Yes, and I know you know when. Deacon Christopher was on the team he, uh, on the show. He was talking about the teams and the trash talk, and you know, yeah. Wanting I'm to pretty get back sure. To, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he he. Deacon Christopher likes to talk, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure he he was been talking to uh, what Father Preston. Um, and, yes, and those guys. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's been there's been some banter for sure. For oh sure. boy. Yeah. Oh boy. So now that um, we're looking forward to that, do you have any predictions? Do you want to? Do you want to give a guarantee? To you know how how basketball players say that I guarantee we're gonna I'm, win. No. I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna be LeBron when he went to Miami, calling how many championships he's gonna win. No, I I don't want to guarantee anything because anything can uh-huh. happen in a game. Anything can happen. Um, but I'm confident that we'll get the W. I'm confident. Oh, I'm not gonna guarantee. I cannot guarantee because anything can happen. Okay. Um, they could have you know a couple guys just go off. Who knows? Uh huh. Um. Father Houston might drop 40 on us down low. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? But I, I'm confident because we've been playing, we've been playing well. We were very tired at Josephina at the end of the tournament, but those first three games, we played well. We played good defense, so I'm, I'm confident that we'll, we'll get the win. Do you guys have more time to gel as a team as compared to them? See, that's that's yeah. I, you know, I was going to try to gloss over that and maybe not talk about that advantage <laughs> we have. No, I'm kidding. No, yeah, we. I mean, we practice once a week, and I think the priest schedules are so busy that they practice like. Very spare. They don't have a lot of time at all to practice together. At least, I'm sure they maybe practice on their own. But there's no substitute for playing, playing, and building that chemistry together. Uh huh. Then, then the time you have to do so. Um. So, and we have that every week, <laughs> and we played multiple uh, games. Yes. So, so you know that that's a that's definitely an advantage that I can't just pass over. Yeah. So if they do beat you, I'm sure you're going to hear a lot about it. Oh yeah. The- <laughs> oh yeah. Every time I see Father David Michael, I'll probably hear about it. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, he was he, he was my spiritual director before right before I entered seminary. Okay, so I got to know him pretty well, and he's a great guy, and he he was very, super helpful in my discernment and everything. But every time I've seen him since then, the game has come up. Really, um, and he's a really humble guy, so he's like, "Yeah, we're just, it's not looking good for us." But I I know he's going to bring everything he's got. So, oh, do you think he's probably just trying to psych you out? Yeah, he's, just yeah. pretending that. Oh, yeah, we're not going to do well. He's you don't head, have to bring your A game. No, no, he's playing head games for sure. Yeah, he's trying to get under <laughs> under our skin and stuff. So we'll see we'll see what happens. But I'm. If we lose him, Father Chad, uh-huh. they will not ever let it go. So. See, now, Father Chad, I've got a bone to pick with him because <laughs> when he was on the show, yeah. he he seemed very refined. and He, he and is then, very refined. He is then, very refined. Okay, and then when, when uh, Deacon Christopher came on, he started talking all these stories about Father Chad behind the scenes. Right. Like where was that? Right. No, he's Father Chad is a <laughs> is a super funny guy. Like loves to have a good time. Uh huh. Um, but at the same time, he can be the serious yes. man that you need a priest to be. Yeah. So he has both. He definitely has both. He only showed one side to us. Yeah. So. 
So maybe I guess need, you have to have him on again. Yeah, on. right? Yeah. Or maybe we can uh, get uh, get a couple of the players together and have a trash-talking session yeah. on the show. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Wouldn't be opposed to that. Uh, what would you say? <laughs> I don't know. Huh? <laughs> what would I say? I would ask Father Chad if he has a right hand because he's lefty. So, oh. so you see how he, he would answer that because I'm just going to guard and make him go right every time. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, do, do you have any issues like like you were talking about how you know playing in the seminary is compared to playing before mm -hmm. like when you were you know in the fraternity like how right. it's, it's very different or like right. in high school do, do you have to keep yourself in check sometimes do you find yourself oh yeah getting yeah that was the, like I like I referred to earlier that was just like one of the you know seminary's great uh, that I've realized this year it's it's great because you get it's it's time set aside to like work on your weaknesses. Uh -huh. First of all, it helps you point out your, it makes you very much, God lets you realize your weaknesses and then you have the time set aside to work on those, right? Like, uh -huh. so especially when it comes to, you know, humility, like growing in humility, there's so many opportunities to grow in humility. One in doing new things and like seeing how bad you are at them and wanting to grow in them, but also like in basketball, um, I can get very like internally very heated. Like yes, if, if something goes wrong or like maybe yeah. I, or, or or I miss or myself. Mo it's mostly with myself. Like uh -huh. I miss shots, and I get upset when I miss. Um, so I have to catch myself because I would otherwise I'll just say things I shouldn't say, and I'm just like, oh no, we can't. You're can't do that. the old you may come back. Yeah, he's trying for, to rear his ugly head, <laughs> right? He's trying to, and so I just try to keep that um, in check. And it, God's grace does incredible things uh -huh. and works miracles. <laughs> so that's been a great learning experience is just being being able to be competitive but not letting that affect like your character and how you act has been has been good. So and and thanks be to God I haven't had any like I haven't blown up at all or anything uh -huh. like that. But there's yeah, it's just learning to be competitive and give my best effort but not letting that also determine how I like behave on the court in a negative way. Because I would think that it's kind of tricky towing that line between you know, playful banter, trash talk, and then just going over, yeah. over the line. No, it is, it is because yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> like growing, yeah, growing up in basketball, like like trash talk is a way to get in the other guy's head. Yes, and then can be a competitive advantage. Yes, but I don't want to. Yeah, now it's like you don't want to do. You just want to beat them because you, you, your team, y'all, y'all play better than the other team. You just want to do it that way. Uh huh. Um, because trash talk just, you know, it makes me think of the scripture verse. Um, just with, just also just the language you use in general, right? Like I had, that's something that's really over the course of my reversion, I've learned to not use the same, you know, bad language, which has been a, a great kind of purification. Uh-huh. But in, I don't remember the verbatim, the, the verse, but it's like uh, talking about what, like, it's not what you, Christ says, it's not what you eat that defiles you, it's what comes out of your mouth. And so that applies to the court as well. Like what comes out of your mouth is what really kind of affects your, your soul, right? So uh -huh. I try to, yeah, especially on the court when tensions can run high because guys are, comp there's a lot of competitive guys. Deacon Christopher is very competitive. Um, and that's a good thing, right? Because you, you bring the best out of each other when that competition is able to, yes. to kind of like foster that. Um, but it's just, a, it's a matter of just from always never losing, you know, your cool and never letting it affect your character in a, character in a negative way. So Now looking forward on your path towards priesthood, what do you look forward to the most? Oh, man. Probably, and it kind of goes in line with like the last interview for the Archdiocese to ask you why you want to be a priest. Uh -huh. And I remember I kind of gave them like a three-point answer. I don't remember every single one. But one of them was 
getting to share with people like the good news, the uh-huh. gospel, yes. but like sharing it with them to a degree that'll change their life. Um, and really doing that through Mary. Cause if I can bring the other people to Mary, she does so much of the work. Like she will bring them to Jesus. That's what she does. That's like, that's what she does. That's uh-huh. she's the, she is, you know, mediatrix in that way, mediating us, our relationship with Christ and, and kind of like, I've heard it put like she like brings forth Christ within us or births Christ within us and brings it forth. Mm-hmm. So if I can just help others do the same with their, you know, with, with their lives and bring them to Christ in that way so that they can have the peace and the joy that I've had and, uh-huh. and, and really going all in, that's what I look forward to the most. And I can, you know, as a priest doing that with the sacraments and doing that in so many different ways, preaching, um, but really, especially when we share that Marian devotion with other people, just because I've seen how it has drastically changed not only my life, but my family's life, friends I've talked to, just like having it happen because through her, Christ flourishes in the soul, I think. Um, and so I just, that's what I most look forward to, for sure. We look forward to seeing you go through this journey and Thank you, maybe it. the next time we have you on the show, it'll be Deacon Keenan. <laughs> God willing. God, God willing. willing. Yeah. We'll Thank you so much. Thank you, Rudy.